0: Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams. And when I'm not behind the mic on this podcast, I'm usually hosting an event, hosting a meetup, uh, teaching people how to raise equity. And actually, we have a a huge event. Last year, it was one of the biggest events for all of multifamily. And it's coming up on October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. I hope you'll attend Go to RaisingMoneySummit.com, and then you can get a discount by putting in the promo code PODCAST. So just my podcast listeners, get this awesome promo code, just put in PODCAST, and and I'll know that you got it. You heard it here on the podcast, and you'll get a giant discount. So go to RaisingMoneySummit.com, and then put in the promo code at checkout, PODCAST, you get a big discount, and I'll see you there, October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by RealBlueSpruce.com. Welcome back to the one and only Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and I'm here to add value to you however I can. And there's a lot of ways we can do that. We can help you go from you know, the no doors that you might have today to a thousand doors in a very short time. I do one-on-one coaching with this to help you with that. Today we have a special guest on the show that is a unique guest. I've never had anyone with this type of experience. So anyone listening is going to learn a few things. I know I certainly am. So today we are with Cliff and uh, I should have asked you before we got, it, got started, how to say the last name. Is it Lipscomb?
1: That's right. Cliff oh Lipscomb.
0: Lipscomb. Okay, perfect. I'm sorry I didn't ask. Uh, Cliff is actually working as, as a real estate technology big data gatherer. He serves as an expert witness or the company he works with serves as an expert witnesses to provide data and to back up that data for different things for like attorneys in cases. Uh, For instance, they're working on things like mortgage-backed securities. Even though this happened more than 10 years ago, they're still having uh, these mortgage-backed securities cases come through the pipeline and they're still able to squash these and help back this up really interesting stuff. So what we're going to do is Cliff, if you could just start by kind of giving us a bio. Wh- where did you come from? What are you doing now? And then we'll move into some of the questions.
1: Okay, that sounds great. Appreciate being here. Uh, so I'm Cliff Lipscomb. I'm, uh, I'm sitting right now in Cartersville, Georgia, which is my hometown. A um, little bit of background on me. I have uh, uh, two degrees from a small private liberal arts school called Berry College, which is over in Rome, Georgia. Uh, My degrees are in economics and sociology, and then I also have a PhD from Georgia Tech in uh, public policy, and my concentration there was uh, what's called environmental economics. So it's the application of economic principles to problems of the environment. Uh, When I came out of school in uh, 2003, believe it or not, I had a really hard time finding a job. So I, um, I um, about 55 applications and four interviews later, I landed at the uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis up in uh, Washington DC as a regional economist. So a little bit of a stretch from uh, environmental economics, but the overlap there is kind of the statistical techniques and things uh, that I learned in grad school. So I spent a couple of years there. And uh, after a couple of years, I realized that I really wanted to get back into teaching. So I started looking around for teaching jobs and I landed at Valdosta State University, which is in Valdosta, Georgia. Uh, It's about a 13, at the time it was about a 13,000 student university. And um, I was in the business school. Uh, I was there for five years. I got tenured and I decided to leave. And uh, people thought I was nuts for giving up a a tenure professorship in a business school. But um, I moved to my current employer, uh, Greenfield Advisors, back in 2010, full-time. I had worked part-time for the company for a few years, so at least I knew what I was getting into. And um, I've now been here nine years full-time. Um, it gave me a chance to move back to Cartersville. My kids know their grandparents. It's, uh, it's a great situation and um, now with my current firm, uh, we're, we're, we really occupy a few spaces, but kind of the, the, the Venn diagram or the intersection of the Venn diagram is we touch almost all things related to real estate, uh, technology, big data, and providing uh, strategy uh, consulting for our clients. And our clients range from government entities to um, the occasional hedge fund, banks, banks, Uh, people looking to raise funds and uh, law firms.
0: Excellent. Okay, so one thing is, uh, first off, can you just tell me what FINRA is? Um, There might be a few people listening. I only learned about it six months ago. So what is FINRA?
1: So FINRA is the self-regulatory body um, that uh, licenses uh, people in the investment management space, uh, in the private placement space, uh, that has to do with, uh, providing investment advice and, uh, also, uh, mergers and acquisitions work as well.
0: Okay. Perfect. And I love that you summed it up. Awesome. Uh, better than I ever could. So here's a, here's a question. Um, so I hear of series seven, I think I hear of series six sometimes, and I'm pretty sure, but not hundred percent. I've heard of people saying that they have a series <laughs> three. Um, but you're, you have a couple licenses under FINRA, and one of them is the Series 82, and the other is a Series 63. So, I, I know this is a random question, but I want to understand a little bit more about these uh, licenses and what they kind of are. So, it doesn't have to be long, but what's a Series 7, and, and, and a 63, and an 82? Like What can you do, and what can you not do?
1: Sure, so, so fin- there, there's some gray area, I'll, I'll admit, um, with uh, FINRA licenses, but if you have what's called an RIA, a registered investment advisor, that person most likely is going to have a series six or a series seven. Um, I'm not quite sure of the differences, but if you're an RIA providing investment advice, uh, managing folks' money in the public equities market, then, or in the REIT market, let's say, uh, those folks are going to have a Series 6 or a Series 7. The 63 is uh, kind of the general state-level license that all uh, investment advisors have to have. So if you have the 6 or the 7, I think nine times out of 10, that person's going to have a 63 as well. Now, you alluded to the other one I've got, which is an 82. Um, uh, th- there's a little bit of a gray area here too, but the, the 82 is the test that you have to take to allow you to work on what's called a private placement. A private placement is um, either the raising of a, a fund or um, the the, um, the marketing of a security, as long as it fits the definition of securities, the marketing of a security uh, to um, that, that is not in the public market. So private placement activities would look like, uh, for us, uh, raising a fund, Where those funds are, where those, uh, where that capital is going to be deployed in opportunity zones. That would be an example of an activity that would be covered under the 82 license or uh, raising capital like a Series A round for a startup biomedical uh, company. That would also be covered under a Series 82. And there are certain rules that go along with it, but basically you have things like a private placement memorandum. Um, that detail the risks involved with that particular investment. But you can only market those private securities if you have a Series 82.
0: Got it. How are Series 82 compensated when they are raising money through a private placement? Are uh, yeah, just how are they compensated?
1: There, there's various ways to do it. Uh, so I've seen groups that will charge um, a monthly retainer, plus uh, some back end or some percentage of the uh, raise, called the success fee. I've seen other private placement agents who are a success fee only. They don't get an upfront retainer, but they'll help put together marketing materials and contacting investors, and they only get paid on the back end when the capital is actually raised. Um, we, um, I've seen some very, I've seen some very uh, high retainers from other groups. I, I've seen, you know, ten, twenty $20,000 retainers up front. I've also seen uh, zero. So it, it ranges, it, it varies quite a bit uh, according to who you're working with.
0: Great, I think this will pertain to a lot of my listeners currently. So as far as like series 82 goes and working with private placements and being paid in the ways that you mentioned, usually having a a fee based on how much they raised. um, This is something where uh, it could be valuable to syndicators like me who are putting out Reg D 506Bs and 506Cs where um, right now, currently, when we have a money raiser being part of the deal, we actually have to bring them legally in on the deal. They have to be part of the ownership of the deal so that they can raise money for the deal. So they have to become part of the general partnership. And while that might not always be the, in our best interest, maybe it will work better if we actually start working with somebody who has a Series 82 and give, to, give them just an upfront fee, say, hey, raise a million dollars and I'll give you whatever, 10 grand, 20 grand, whatever's valuable and makes sense. Um, so, if that's the case and if I might be able to stop giving people equity in my deal to raise money and I might uh, just give them like a little fee or a big fee, whatever makes the most sense, where do I find Series 82 people?
1: Well, I think you described it perfectly. Um, people who operate who are unlicensed, uh, you see that a lot in real estate. Typically, they are brought in as equity partners to the deal in order to have access to their contacts, their network, and um, you know, as long as they have the demonstrated ability to uh, to to raise uh, to raise the funds needed. I think real estate is a little different than some of the other areas where you see uh, private placement agents operating. Uh, real estate, in particular, is tricky because um, it all kind of hinges on whether the thing that you're marketing qualifies as a security or not. Um, So for example, a hard asset piece of real estate um, likely is not a security. But if you're raising a real estate fund, that is a security. It's a private marketable security that requires uh, federal licensure. Uh, to, to, to To finish answering your question, where do you find a Series 82 person? I don't know that there's a, a true database. I mean, if you go to Fenra Broker Check, that's the that's the most common place you can go to uh, uh, check out who the person is uh, that you're working with. Um, if they have any disclose, what's called a disclosure in their history, like they've ever been censored or they've been fined or uh, they were um, uh, their their work or something they did was questioned for ethical reasons, those disclosures would be located on Fenra Broker Check. I can tell you mine is is clean, uh, because I check it pretty regularly. Um, But uh, if you look through there, it's interesting. I mean, some people, you know, some people have one incident, let's say in the 1980s, and then they've been clean the last 35 years. And it's usually, it's often something minor. But as you know, there's wide variation in these things. And some folks have done some pretty shady things, but others just, you know, forgot to check a box, so to speak, got their hand slapped, and then they continued on with life. And you know, led a perfectly ethical practice the rest of their career. So, it varies quite a bit.
0: Awesome. I really appreciate you letting me go on a tangent. I, I Now, I really want to talk about Greenfield Advisors and I want to talk about um, like what is the normal case that you folks are working on because um, I know you represent, you represent the attorneys who are representing the clients to make sure to give them the right data to know if these um, these cases are going to be solved through your efforts. So what is a normal case? What What are you guys usually working on?
1: So here's a normal case for us. A uh, law firm will call us and say, hey, uh, we've got a piece of environmentally contaminated property. We think this is the source. Uh, we have uh, scientific experts who can document either the size of the plume or uh, the extent of the water contamination, and we need you to translate that science into a diminution in value of the property. And so we we do leverage off of the scientific experts, the hydrologists, the air modelers, uh, whatever the contaminant and whatever the medium is. You know that information comes to us, and then we take that information. We look at what real estate transactions. Um, are doing, we look at sales transactions, we look at other market evidence, we do interviews with brokers sometimes, uh, to get a sense of how a market has been impacted by a particular event, and then we put a report together. And that report, um, that report uh, in that report we opine on, you know, here's the piece of property, here's what we think kind of the before value was, here's what we think the as contaminated value is, that differential is X, and uh, here's all of our supporting data to substantiate what we claim. That's a typical report for us.
0: Awesome, now I want to ask you, give you kind of a, a left hook or something here, something that we, we didn't even talk about, but you were, we're mentioning what you're normally doing. So what is like the most unique case that, that your company, Greenfield Advisors, has, has worked on in the last couple of years?
1: Great question. The most unique, Oh, I got it. About, I think it was about six or seven years ago now, uh, we were contacted by the owner of a 150,000 acre pristine piece of property in Tierra del Fuego. Um, it actually spanned, uh, if I remember correctly, it spanned both Argentina and Chile. It literally went from one ocean to the other beautiful piece of property and we sent uh we sent uh uh, an analyst down there for a couple of weeks to document it to as best as we could um you know measure some things which would be kind of tough on a 150,000 acre piece of property but we um we we valued it for the owner as there was going to be a transfer of ownership and um uh, there was uh, also some talk of uh, having kind of a like a destination tourism place where you would go there simply to go there, uh, to go biking, to see the glaciers, to, uh, fish, to hunt. Um, and, and so they were, they were looking at the most, uh, they were looking at the most creative, um, uh, way to uh, meet all these different objectives and to get a sense of what this thing would be valued at.
0: Okay. I have a question. Now you, you were talking in acres and this is in Chile in Argentina, and as a wine, I, I used to study a lot of wine, and they, they used to call um, outside of the country, I think, do, do they call things hectares?
1: There are hectares, yeah, the 150,000 acres would be the translation of hectares to, to kind of units that we would understand.
0: Okay, that makes sense, that makes sense, okay, I love it. Thank you for uh, going to that detail. Who uh, is your typical client? who who listening might need to use your services, and how do they find you
1: I think there's two two categories of people. one would be um, you know attorneys looking for experts or strategic consulting on their litigation matters, and then the other would be um, folks like, folks with a unique capital raise situation that uh, that needs some help every anything from a debt refinance to a uh, equity raise um, will uh, we, we've worked on a bunch of different things. We've even sold companies, but uh, we'll uh, we, I kind of think of us as the, like the special situations team at Goldman Sachs. You know we nothing we look at is typical.
0: Okay, got it. And how do they find you? What's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Yeah, best way to stay in touch with us is actually to go to our website, uh, www.greenfieldadvisors.com dot com and you can sign up to be on our mailing list or just keep up with us uh keep up with us on the blog we're pretty active there and our original content and uh just uh you know sharing information that we see that uh, sounds interesting to us
0: Love it. All right, so for the listener who's curious about learning more about this unique uh, niche, uh, we will go to greenfieldadvisors.com that we can sign up for your mail list, we can look at the blogs and find your other unique content that you guys are think is really powerful for other people to learn and that's where we would also be able to find your contact information when we need to contact you if we're an attorney or if we have a unique raise. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was fun to kind of do something that we don't normally do. You added a ton of value to the podcast and to the listeners and to myself. So until next time, think outside the box. From the bottom of my heart, I want to just say thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, coming onto the podcast. I hope you've noticed one of the things that I'm absolutely trying to do right here on the podcast. And I hope you've already noticed this is I'm trying to bring as many amazing women on the podcast to really let that light shine. And that's the same thing that I'm doing with my events. So like I have uh, Tamil Kenny, I've got uh, Alina Trigub, I've got Jillian Sidoti, Ellie Perlman, Kathy Fedke, Maureen Miles, Peely Yarusi, some just incredible humans, incredible women that'll be on stage at the Raising Money Summit this year. I hope you decide to go ahead and grab your tickets and see what all of the speakers, not just the women, but the men and the women have to, to do and present for us. I think we're gonna learn a lot. And not only that, but the networking is gonna be outrageous. So I hope you'll accept my invitation to come to the Raising Money Summit by going to raisingmoneysummit.com. Check out all of the speakers, the ones that I just mentioned and the rest of them as well. Check out the speaker lineup. Check out the already amazing ticket prices that we have and grab your discount for it as well. There's, there's a special right now anyway, and plus that you could still use the promo code on top of it, which is awesome. Just put in podcast. So that's your promo code. That's your discount code, but there's a discount anyway, plus take that off and you'll save a bunch of money. I definitely want to see you there October 3rd, 4th, and 5th.